Listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, and Sezzle. The OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is July 21st. I'm your host, Ann Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss all the top headlines making waves in the world of omnichannel retailing. Joining us today, Back for their monthly ex- appearance are two executives from the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Haymont Kalbog and Jonathan Sharp. Haymont, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Tell the audience a little bit about yourselves. Haymont, let's start with you first. Hi, everyone. Uh, really happy to be on again. And thank you for having us. I'm Haymont Kalbog. I'm a managing director and partner with our Consumer and Retail Group. And I am the second smartest guy in our practice. Uh, and the f- smartest one is. Jonathan, you want to say hi? I wasn't sure where that was going, but I said, <laughs> <very much>. I. <laughs> I thought there was someone else joining us. Um, hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you for daring to have me back. Uh, Jonathan Sharp here, also Managing Director uh, with Alvarez and Marcel Consumer Retail Group. Thrilled to be a colleague of payments. And uh, well, that's actually the highlight of my career. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Ed, this is going to be spicy already. I know. I, w- I was warned that these two like to like to throw some barbs at each other, but yes. this is absolutely fantastic. That might be the greatest intro of all well, time. Well, they will that we've they had. will help us post a European trip once again to really get energized about the show and to have some some very hot deliberation. That's right. For those that follow us closely, we just got back from Madrid, and the last time last time we had a European trip, we had a we didn't have any time off. Yesterday we had a full day, so I'm raring to go here. And oh yes. Let's get. I think we should get to it. Let's start off with this week's review this week's review comes to us from j recruiting jen Ooh, yeah i like that name it's good no peas in it either so it's (laughs) nice uh here's what jen had to say she said a fun way to get the latest retail news we serve large retail clients in the recruiting space and it's important to stay up to date on the Mm. industry as a whole to serve them well before i found omnitalks fast five we spent a lot of time reading Far less fun retail newsletters. Aww. And yes, we would agree with that. Thanks to Chris and Ann for keeping it real and engaging while giving us the latest. Five stars for sure. Oh, thanks, Jay Recruiting Jen. I know, right? Isn't that so nice? Yeah, I love I love that one too because it talks about exactly what we try to do, which is to spice it up, make it more interesting. So yes, please leave us a review if you're going to listen. We're we're getting really close to the end here, like in terms of, of reviews. So you leave us a review, good chance it's going to be uh, available and read aloud on the show within the next couple of weeks as well. All right, Chris, Haymont, Jonathan, are you guys ready to get the show started? Yes, I am, man. Let's do it. All right. So in today's Fast Five, today's Fast Five is brought to you again and again. Second week in a row. Yes. With the help and support of our good friends at Grocery Shop. Oh. Yeah. Holla. <laughs> Last week, we told you to act fast because prices were going up, but that is not the case for our loyal OmniTalk listeners. By using promo code RBOT1950, that's R-B-O-T-1950, retailers and brands can still get that same great pre-increase rate of just 1950 Just go to GroceryShop.com to redeem your promo code now. In today's Fast Five, we've got news on Macy's taking Toys R Us to all stores, Ooh. Kroger taking its new membership program national, a Google exec suggesting the landscape of digital search is shifting drastically, 
Reports in the Wall Street Journal that Amazon is thinking of exiting its private label business. But first, we take off with a Prime Day recap. And oh, yes. Uh, it was Prime Day last week, everybody. Prime Days. Uh, and it reportedly broke records, bringing it in at $11.9 billion in sales, according to Adobe. So here are some fun facts from our friends uh, reporting on this at Chain Storage. Prime members purchased more than 300 million items, the most in history. Most in history. Prime members saved over $1.7 billion. And overall, the growth rate across the two days was roughly 8.5% as Adobe had Amazon in at $11 billion last year. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to go to you first on this. Uh, what what should listeners and other retailers most specifically take away from this year's uh, Prime Day extravaganza? Well, I guess the first thing is is that uh, the beast isn't going away, right? And, you know, we see it in our consumer sentiment survey, the mm -hmm. uh, intention to use Amazon, intention to use their mobile app continues to be the, the number one uh, shopping channel amongst uh, consumers. And we've not seen that fade mm -hmm. in the last 12 month cycle of our survey. I guess the other thing that I was struck by was, I think this is a sign of the supply chain switchback that I think a lot of retailers mm -hmm. are gonna go on over the next uh, six to 12 months, which is, I, I think we're at the sort of an inflection point of going from understock uh, to overstock. Mm -hmm. It's kind of inevitable. I would imagine everyone who's worked in supply chain for their career kind of knew this was coming 12, 18 months ago and must be sort of banging their head against a wall now, uh, but the consumer is gonna benefit. The other, I think, really interesting, innovative thing that we saw was this kind of social participation shopping. Hmm. So kind of shop whilst I twitch or twitch whilst I shop and kind of what should I get? What should I buy? What do my friends think? And that raised a question for me around kind of where are all the other categories where that should be really kind of powerful? You would have thought that certainly amongst certain demographics in clothing, in makeup, in indulging in luxury, it's kind of the online equivalent of having a glass of champagne with your girlfriend whilst deciding what bag to buy. Uh, I love picturing you, Jonathan, having a glass of champagne with your girlfriend while thinking about the bag, what to, bag don't, to buy. Don't, yeah. don't, tell, don't tell my wife, okay? <laughs> I'm texting Sam right now. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, she's probably buying a bag right now. <laughs> right. Um, she's probably doing the same thing herself. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that kind of, it's kind of the ultimate kind of social commerce that you right. saw. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's going to come up again later, too. So my big takeaway, too, from what you said, too, is I kind of think you're kind of going down the road of and you guys put this out in your report, too, that you're almost we should almost expect to see more of these things as well. Hey, Matt, what do you think? You know, this is amazing to me, right? Amazon has created a whole new occasion that it's not just about Amazon, right? So if Amazon is driving Prime Day, there is a whole host of other retailers that have to follow right? So, so Best Buy has to promote, Walmart has to promote. I mean, there is just this cascading effect of what they're doing. And it's really interesting because, you know, there was this all of this lead up to holiday and building up of inventory. I think this is a great, uh, I think, asset for retail that they get this opportunity several months before holiday really kicks in, mm. clear out inventory, drive volume. My sense is, I think we'll be talking about this for the next three years. I think there's going to be new records every single year right? because this is just going to continue to grow in size. And it's going to become almost like the new Black Friday uh, yeah, that right. everyone will wait for. And, and it's evident in, in this year's numbers, right? I mean, this is now 
something that that retail retailers will mark to every year. It's truly amazing. The summer liquidation sale, so to speak, that will yep. continue to gain steam. And what do you think, though? Well, I was I I agree with what Hamon and Jonathan were saying. I think that what's important to me here is what retailers are doing to compete with Amazon. They're not going to beat Amazon on price. I mean, it's it's going to be incredibly difficult to do that. Even with you know what Jonathan's talking about with you know overstock and liquidation happening, but what I do think is important for other retailers to be thinking about is yes, this is the new holiday, but what are the other aspects of your business that you're putting time and energy in beyond just price cutting to make that choice easier for a consumer to go to you versus ordering from Amazon? Like, how are you improving your you know same day pickup? Um, within 30 minutes or something so that you can incentivize the consumers to not just, you know, get a good deal. Maybe it's a dollar more to get it at Best Buy, like Haymont suggesting, but I can go over there right now and mm-hmm. get that same discount. Right. Um, I think those are the kinds of things that as a as a retailer um, who's not Amazon, I'd be kind of focusing on as we go forward with this this continued yeah, trend. That's a good point. Even leveraging buy online, pick up and store curbside could actually make the retailers be very price competitive with, with Amazon too, because it's a cheaper way to fulfill. Yeah, I don't know. My takeaways too are I kind of already alluded to. My big takeaway from this is I, the, my thing is like I don't have many hot takes to say on this. I feel like this is just a variant on a theme that we've seen for centuries. Like it's like the Memorial Day sale, but now it's in the middle of July, or it's like Nordstrom's anniversary sale. It's just it's cut from the same cloth there, mm-hmm. which is what retail is. It's just slight variations on things we've all seen in the past. So I think like with I think Jonathan's point is dead right with things like Walmart Plus, with Kroger Boost, things like that, which we're going to talk about in a second. Like. We're just going to see more of these more often, right. and it's just going to become a regular occurrence. That's kind of my my last word. I think I'd say, or Jonathan, you get the final word, though. I was just going to say, just building on those two points, which is uh, kind of what Amazon's doing with Prime Day is it's exploiting its availability and kind of price advantage. So it's kind of taking those off the field mm-hmm. for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And therefore, what everyone else has to do is find other reasons to shop with them, which actually is going to be the theme, I think, of the other things we're going to talk about today because that's really what it's doing to other retailers, which is, okay, what other parts of our proposition can we be much stronger on? Because we know that Amazon's got availability, instant fulfillment and price. Yeah, Yeah. it's a great point by Ann. All right, let's keep moving. Let's roll to headline number two. Oh, yeah. And believe it or not, are I we, know you're going to love this. Are we going to sing again? No, I don't think we can <laughs> sing today. I don't think, but our, our, our guests can definitely sing should they want to. But mm-hmm. it looks like we can all be Toys R Us kids again at Aww. Macy's. I know, right? Oh, wouldn't we want to be a Toys R Us kid? According to Retail Dive, Macy's will begin rolling out Toys R Us to all Macy's stores between now and October 15th, just in time for the holidays. The store and store footprints will range between 1,000 square feet to 10,000 square feet, and the larger footprints will be reserved for what the two companies together call flagship locations in Macy's large metropolitan areas, including New York, Miami, Atlanta, and Chicago. Amon, let's go to you first on this one. What do you think of this news? Do you like this for Macy's? You know, it's amazing. So first of all, I have to say, Toys R Us as a brand, I mean, my God, I think this must be the third or fourth time it's right. it just yeah. won't die they right? said that in the article too it's like, like the night in the yeah. holy grail it just mm-hmm. won't die it, it's just got this brand resilience that there's always people out there that see that equity and they don't want this brand to go away i don't know if it's nostalgia i don't know if it is a core business belief so i am truly amazed that yet again toys r us is rearing its head so interesting now if i think about this from the macy's standpoint right yeah 
I think there has been a consistent challenge for department stores over the last decade to think about giving consumers a reason to walk into a store. Right. Right. Um, it's most department stores are very careful about sharing traffic numbers. But if you look at mall numbers in general, and you know, there has probably been somewhere between a seven to twelve percent traffic decline year over year, that's been compounding. And so the reason for existence for department stores has to evolve. And you know, just having everything under one roof and really kind of becoming apparel led has not been sufficient. And, you know, direct-to-consumer brands have been taking away uh, share. Off-price has been taking away traffic share. So I think this is an interesting experiment because really this is about driving traffic into the stores, mm -hmm. right? This is about giving a new destination that will get new consumers coming into a Macy's store. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if you remember when Toys as, as, as the stores were around, they actually did well on traffic, right? I think there was some yeah. systemic business problems around margin, et cetera, that ultimately got the retailer into trouble, but it was not because of traffic, right? I mean, um, even, I mean, especially the iconic locations that, that you would go to, uh, you know, there were times there was lines outside. So I think this is, this is, I think a smart move. So, um, net, so net, net, you like this move. That's your, that's your take. Net, net, you uh, like this move for Macy's. I, I do. I, okay. I really do. Okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. The other point too that I would make too, I'd get Jonathan's thoughts on this is like the Toys R Us experience was much larger than one thousand or three thousand, whatever right. it was, square feet, even ten thousand square feet, which I think is an important thing to think about. But Jonathan, what do you agree with him on here or what color would you add? Yeah, okay. Strike this one down. Keep the tape. I agree with Heyman. Oh my God. <laughs> I want a copy of that recording, please. Yes, yes, yes. I'm this gonna make be... that into a meme <laughs> going on our company website. A TikTok just boomeranging of Jonathan. Yeah, I agree well, with Heyman. I agree with Heyman. Stuck in my mouth that did. But anyhow, yeah, look, uh, a few things. The thing that struck me when I read this was that it's the return of the department store. Like the department store is back. All the categories that they exited over the last 20 years. I mean, sure. what's next? Is furniture coming back? Is luggage coming back? Electronics coming back? Interesting, actually, a whole bunch of categories that are challenged on their own, big box, Amazon hollowing them out, actually aggregate them uh, back in a thing called the department store and create more reasons to shop. Mm -hmm. The other, I mean, the reason this is important is that you can see it again in our uh, consumer sentiment survey, in particular, amongst younger consumers, particularly uh, millennials, who just do not regard mall shopping as a leisure pursuit. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're going to have to create lots more reasons for them to visit because it's not instinctively an attractive proposition for them. So I, I kind of get it. The question it raises for me, like, is, you know, exactly what's next? Who are the next ones coming store in store? Yeah. What, what, what do you think, Anne? I'm sorry Am I the to only both of you. On this? No, yes, but okay, I, I have to, I, I love that Jonathan gave us that entry point into this conversation because I agree. You have got to get those millennial and Gen Z, this next generation of customers who Toys R Us does not mean squat to these people, like these people. They don't have the, the nostalgia that we all had of the, what that Toys R Us was. Mm -hmm. And in order to get that that group of people into your Macy's store, I don't think it's with these, 
you know, t- with Toys R- bringing Toys R Us in in a very small footprint, I don't think it's the market at Macy's Concepts that they're expanding. Mm-hmm. I think I look at what we just experienced, Chris, at Zara mm-hmm. in Madrid. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, right. I look at how seamless that experience yep. was to shop a traditional. I mean, it's the size of a department store. It's four floors, eighty-two thousand oh, square it feet. It was eighty thousand square feet. Yeah, hundred percent. That shopping experience has got me in. I can shop a variety of ways, online and offline. I can check out myself. Like Macy's, this is where you should be investing your money. It should not be in these one-off things trying to save your brand by bringing in other brands. It's by creating the better shopping experience that will get that customer in to buy the things that you have, the tertiary things, whether it's Wetzel's Pretzels or Toys R Us. Like You need to start with that element first before you start trying these things. It's just it's just wasting money and time and resources at this point. A hundred a hundred percent agree with you. A hundred percent agree with you. And the point I would make against what you guys were saying too would be, yeah, it's maybe a rebirth of the department store, but the department store went away for a reason, right? Like, why do we suddenly want that version back? Like, so that the history is not on the side of this idea in some ways. And the other point I make too is the devil's in the details of how you execute this. Right. Macy's has shown no ability to execute any of these ideas from story. I've been in the stores that have the first rollout. Like they rolled it out to three to 400 stores, mm-hmm. this Toys R Us concept. It looked atrocious. Like it wasn't even, I would argue it wasn't even shoppable. It looked like they hadn't done anything. And then my other point would be, if you're going to do this, if you believe in this idea of reimagining the department store, right. like going back to what it used to be, why do you need Toys R Us to do that? Why do you need to pay a licensing fee to Toys R Us to put this in your stores? Why don't you just put toys into it? Right. And according to the article, like the Macy's merchants are still very involved in the in the decision making. So like if you've got merchants, like why do you need to pay Toys R Us for this? You want right. to just put toys in your store, put it in there. Because to your point, the seven, eight-year-olds that are going to be shopping for this don't even know what Toys R Us is. So or who, Macy's. So who cares? Right. So like- that to me doesn't that to me doesn't make sense. And so my prediction, Anne, is this might get good press in year one. Yeah. It's gonna show signs of struggling in year two. And by year three, it's gonna be disastrous and people are not are gonna be like, what the hell did we do here? But that's my take. But I gotta imagine you guys have a retort on this one a hundred percent. So uh who wants it first? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I understand your perspective and I think you know there is going to be many experiments that Macy's and other department stores do that may get a C minus or below on the report card. I don't think this is one of them. It just, the reason, for, and, I, and I think about what you said, right? Why do you need Toys R Us to do it? It is because that brand still means something. The, it, and it's the, the, the fact that it's passed on from generations and in the end, right? Parents have a great amount of decision-making influence around where to take their kids for shopping. And that brand for parents still means something. And, and as, as long as that nostalgia exists, I think that is going to, to have pull. And then the, the other part of it is also, I think, I, again, for the record books, I agree with Jonathan too. I think this wow. is about testing concepts, right? So if this works, it's about then thinking about what is the next specialty category I can bring into my department store that I don't have to manage entirely on my own with merchants that, you know, don't consistently make good calls, but thinking about category specialists. Can I imagine a better luggage buying experience within a uh, department store? Can I imagine a better electronics buying experience than you get today? So I think that's kind of where it's headed. I I do think at least for the next year or so, I I agree with you, Chris, this is about creating a little bit of excitement around the narrative. So 
anyway, we should talk in a couple of years about this and, and see how it's going. Oh, and I'm going to be checking this one out too. Yeah. And, and no, no, I know the, the market by Macy's too is coming to St. Louis and we're driving down to check that one out as soon as it yeah. opens. But Jonathan, I kind of digged your point a little bit. So I feel like I've got to give you the last word on this one. Yeah, I guess my only response is it's a bit of a countercausal, right? Which is a sort of alternative history kind of question, which is yeah. you want to do toys? If not, Toys R Us, who, what? You want to reinvent the department store? What else are you going to do? I think you've got to give them high marks for effort. Now, let's see what their sort of execution is like. But I'm kind of struggling with what else they should be trying. Uh, and I think to Heyman's point, and actually I think it was Anna who also raised it, right, which is we'll, we will know whether this is a, a success if there are two or three that work after this one, right? Yeah. So I think our view on this is very contingent. Well, and I think that's funny. Just last, my last word on this one, and before we move to headline number three, is I think that's always the point that gets brought up when we talk about the department stores. It's like, what else are they going to do? So therefore, we like this. Because, but in reality, it doesn't answer the question of this is the right thing to save the department store. And so that's just my, I think that's an important psychological thing to look at in terms of our commentary on the department store industry yeah, in general. Let's see how long you have to wait in line to buy one of the toys or if you can find somebody at Macy's <laughs> right. to buy one of the toys once you buy it. All right, let's go to headline number three. So Kroger is now offering its Boost by Kroger loyalty program across all of its banners nationwide. According to Chain Storage, the annual membership gives customers unlimited free grocery delivery on orders of $35 or more, fuel discounts of up to $1 per gallon, and yeah. additional savings on Kroger's, our brand's private label products. During the last several months, the grocer piloted Boost in four divisions, and according to Kroger, the results included a growing number of new members and significant increase in delivery sales compared to non-Boost divisions. The membership has two levels. Two levels. Each is $59 and $99, respectively. And Kroger estimates that the membership can save customers more than $1,000 per year on fuel and grocery delivery. Jonathan, we're going to go to you first on this one. Is there something to this? Is it just an old copycat file? Like, is it just some, let's rinse and repeat and do this over again? What do you think about this one? Yeah, so I think there's something here, right? This is kind of what Amazon had in mind with combining Amazon Prime and Whole Foods, yeah. except they didn't build out the fulfillment centers globally to allow them to do it. And the other thing I was thinking about this was, I think this market is going in a similar direction to the media market, right? Mm. Ultimately, how many of these subscriptions a household's going to have, mm -hmm. right? Agreed. I mean, I don't know what your house is like, but in, a me in, in media, Disney+, Plus, Peacock, Netflix, who knows how many others, right? Eventually, I'm not sure we're going to keep all of them. I would have thought in grocery delivery, it's even less, right? right. I would imagine most households are going to stick with Amazon Prime and potentially a grocery edition, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Had Amazon got Whole Foods right, they would have had the whole shooting match stitched up. They didn't get it right. And so I think there's space for one other. And so I think this is quite an aggressive move by Kroger to say we are going to be the one other, mm -hmm. right? The only thing I'm a bit confused about is um, this is basic. Well, certainly I live in the Northeast, right? So I went and had yeah. a look at this. And, and this is basically Kroger Boost fulfilled by Instacart for me. Okay. Um, and so this is kind of an Intel thing, which is, would I rather spend $99 to get Instacart 
plus? Or would I rather pay $99 to get Kroger fulfilled by Instacart with all of the other benefits around fuel and private label? Now, Kroger are obviously betting, right? But their proposition is strong enough to compete against all of the subsidiary retailers that Instacart could provide. I, I look, I don't know, but I think it's quite an aggressive and strategic play to be the other subscription model in your household. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's interesting too, because the other point you got to bring into this conversation, which is something I was thinking about a lot as reading this too, is Kroger's also going into markets where they don't have stores. Right. So it's not necessarily requiring the Instacart connection or even the store to be present. You could actually get to become a boost member and get just the centralized fulfillment through the Akata partnership like they're doing in like Oklahoma and Florida yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Amon, what do you think? I, listen, I, I'm, I think this is something, this is not really a new idea. It's not earth shattering. Everyone is, in the end, if you're in retail, everyone will eventually have some version of this, right? Um, Amazon Prime has obviously existed for a while, but Walmart has Walmart Plus, Restoration Hardware has membership. Pretty much every retailer now has membership mm -hmm. uh, associated with free delivery, some additional member benefits. And so this is, in my mind, just the new form of a loyalty program going forward. And I do not think that you know Kroger is doing something I'm surprised it took them this long to get here. Mm. Uh, they're a thoughtful company. so mm. But I think this is going to be table stakes. And there's two reasons for retailers to do this, right? There's one, just a defensive move, right? They don't want to lose customers to other companies, other retailers that are offering this. The second thing is, what does this do? What it does is it builds loyalty by getting a higher share of your wallet. So if you are paying the $99 to Kroger, there's a high likelihood something that you may buy at Target or Walmart, you may try and combine into your basket at Kroger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense, right? The, the reason to do this is to, to increase that pull. And in, in my mind, this is, while I'm glad they're doing it and I'm glad it's it's making the news, my prediction is every grocery chain will have an, its equivalent program within the next couple of years. Interesting. See, I'm not as I'm not as I'm not as jaded on it, and I like what Jonathan brought up. I love that point because I had not thought about that about like the consolidation and like mm -hmm. Amazon Prime plus the grocery thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I agree with Amon to a d degree. Like, I think like membership programs like this are just worth doing, mm -hmm. and we're going to see everyone do it because like right. th it costs nothing to implement them. You minus a few front end digital changes and maybe some marketing folks and ops people behind the scenes. Like, you get people to pay you a hundred dollars per year. It's like, duh. Why wouldn't you try this in a lot of ways? But but the thing for me is I, I think Kroger actually is out in front of this relative to other grocers, particularly be in terms of implementing it. Mm -hmm. My hunch is they're doing better with it than Walmart is doing with Walmart Plus because we haven't seen any statistics on Walmart Plus at this point. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we said before, like Wa uh, Kroger has been very smart about leveraging the Ocado relationship to get into new markets. And I think Boost gives a marketing handle to that and a way to talk to those markets from a new point of discussion. I think that's right. really important here. And so- and those savings are insane if yeah. that's really true. $1,000 a year on a $99 investment, that's that's huge. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I think that for me, it's two things. Number one, what you and Jonathan pointed out is that grocery, you got your Amazon Prime membership for the everything store, but we think about the conditions that we're about to head into as a nation and 
Fuel and groceries are going to be the other thing that you invest in when it comes to subscription and where you're looking for savings because those are essentials. The rest of those tertiary categories that Instacart's offering, I don't think are going to be as important of a membership for people to hang on to, especially, you know, even at $100 a year. But the thing that I think the second point I'd make with this is that I think that Kroger is also smartly on the backside of this, thinking about how they can start to bring in and offer those hub and spoke facilities to other brands instead of, you know, doing it, pulling it directly from the store. Like you look at they did a pilot in store with Bed Bath & Beyond, which, meh, you know, who knows if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. But if they're developing those relationships and then they can start to pull now you can get Bed Bath & Beyond products from the centralized fulfillment center in addition to your tart or to your uh, your grocery order i think that has some real power potentially down the road yeah i don't know about that because i think you know yeah potentially and bed bath and beyond is is the of course we can't have a conversation without talking about bed bath and beyond too but like you know centralized fulfillment of groceries is very different than than centralized automated fulfillment of home furnishings too so like that that is probably pretty far well and not and like you look at the categories that they had in the store i guess is what i'm talking about it's smaller home goods it's plates it's towels it's things like that that are much more along the lines of an essential item instead of like the big furniture yeah i mean you could definitely get there over time the question of bed bath and beyond will be around to support that but who knows well or pet food or home improvement things i think it's it expands to other categories right absolutely yeah the traditional core grocery categories for sure all right let's keep rolling to headline number four here a google exec made a shocking proclamation at fortune's brainstorm tech conference this past week According to TechCrunch, Google Senior Vice President Prabhakar Raghavan, who runs Google's Knowledge and Information Organization, said, quote, in our studies, something like almost 40% of young people, when they're looking for a place for lunch, don't go to Google Maps or Google Search anymore. They go to TikTok or Instagram, end quote. Raghavan also explained how younger people were generally interested in more, quote, visually rich forms, end quote, of search and discovery. And that wasn't just limited to where to eat. Google confirmed his comments to TechCrunch and said they were based on internal research that involved a survey of U.S. users ages 18 to 24. Jonathan, how important is this headline? Do you agree with me that it should be in the running for retail headline of the year? Oh, that's a big ask. I'm not sure about that. Come back to me in December, right? But... um, (laughs) I, th- I think it's I, I think it's quite a big deal for Google, and effectively, I think what they're saying is they're saying content is king. And by the way, I was looking at some other uh, data on this. So in the UK, the UK equivalent of the FCC has now said that TikTok is the fastest growing source of news uh, for the mm. UK population, followed by Insta. Mm. Um, again, so content kind of driving uh, participation. And so I kind of get it. And I I think if I was my sort of late teen daughter, I I would never consider kind of Google Maps for finding a restaurant. I mean, if I said Yelp to her, she'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) Her view of kind of her view of finding a restaurant review is I'll kind of go and find out what Doja Cat's saying about Noah Schnapp and then I'll find a restaurant review on the back of it. You know, the content drives everything for her. Mm And the other thing I think that's interesting is, is I don't think it's just notional. So we see other evidence of it. Gen Z in particular are this really interesting group that in survey responses are the group that combine social commerce with bricks and mortar. So they'll do a lot of social commerce. They love the bricks and mortar experience. They'll typically insta it whilst they're at it. They've skipped the kind of website, laptop, Google phase of online shopping. They've gone retro 
and they've gone straight to social commerce. So mm-hmm. I can kind of see it, uh, why it might be happening with that group. I think there's a question for retailers, by the way, which is, what's your content like? Mm-hmm. I mean, how rich is your participation? Um, I think retailers typically still think website and mobile app. Right. Well, I'm not sure that's even table stakes anymore. It's kind of a nothing burger for that group. <laughs> right. And yeah. and what do you think? Well, I I read this and was honestly not surprised. I mean, I right. think that when you think, especially when they bring up like restaurants, I think that's a big component of this. But but especially like Jonathan's saying with the smaller retailers, I mean, we were just in Paris unexpectedly. And one of the ways that I was using, and I'm not even millennial and Gen Z, no, like not. I was looking at a restaurant review and then looking at the Instagram photos of that restaurant to really get a sense of, I mean, like Jonathan's saying, I think this generation gets a sense of authenticity of actual experience based on what they're seeing from the brand on TikTok and Instagram. And the same will be true for shopping. And I think the other thing that is happening on these social networks is that this is passive consumption of media. It's not going directly to Amazon or Google and typing in restaurants near me or handbags near me. Like they are being inspired and in the whole consumption pattern is different. And I think going to continue as we as we continue on. So you, so you guys both think this is pretty big then? Yeah. Like it's kind of like I expected it. I don't know about headline of big. the year. I think I'm less surprised by it than maybe you are, but. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think headlines of the year can still be unsurprising too, but hey, Amai, what do you think? Uh, I am, I'll tell you what, I, I am surprised, but I'm surprised by the boldness of the statement. I mean. Me too. I can't believe you did that. Executive to come out and talk and then the company to back it up right. to say the very fundamental premise of the model that we were built in is becoming rest, less relevant. How brave is that? I mean, that is super cool that they talked about it openly. And, you know, it may be something yeah. that many of us have thought about intuitively. But, you know, I mean, to tie it back to our earlier conversation, it would be like a department store executive 15 years ago saying, you know, the whole concept of shopping is changing and people don't want to come into department stores anymore. They want to go online and direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, I am just, I'm floored that they came out and said this openly. And uh, while a hundred percent true, and that's definitely where, where consumption is going. I was still very impressed by the headline. Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, this might surprise you. I'm about to be cynical. Uh, be, <laughs> that was irony for those who don't know me, but maybe it's not a surprising thing to say if you're an industry that's facing regulatory scrutiny on monopoly power in search. Mm. And so it's also in Google's interest. It's also in Google's interest to uh, talk up other sure. Good layer. Options. Good point. Good layer here, Jonathan. Very nice. We love the cynicism too. What do you think? You you're saying headline of the year, Chris. Yeah, and by the way, for the record, because I know I've dropped you give me crap for dropping that a lot, but I went mm-hmm. back and recorded my headlines of the year. So far there's eight, and we're in the seventh month of the year. So I feel like I'm on a good pace for, <laughs> for creating a list for legitimate headlines of the year. But no, I think it I think it's huge. And I think you guys hit on the points already because it just it shows you the disruption that's gonna take by way of social commerce. You know, we started talking. I started talking about this on stage as much as four years ago. Right. And credit to Carter Jensen, who used to be on the show, for pointing this out to me. This horizontal line of social commerce idea that he had. You know, you've just got more and more eyeballs on social media every day, and those platforms are going to become the natural outlays as a result of that for search and for commerce. You know, and so ultimately, I think if this is true, maybe you know, if you take the glass half full approach, maybe and against Jonathan's glass half empty approach. 
you know, it's going to become at some point terribly disruptive for both Amazon and Google particularly because they're the ones who have the lion's share of that engagement right now from traditional search, the way pe people traditionally search for things. So my other prediction, though, is that if this trend continues, I think you can expect to see Snap gobbled up by one of those two players. I think it's just going to be a natural outgrowth of what's going to happen because they're the ones that are just kind of sitting there on the sidelines. TikTok's very formidable on its own. Facebook, too. Snap's just there for the taking, and I wouldn't be surprised at some point if somebody grabs it up. I was just, can I just say one other thing, which is if you're Google, what's interesting is, is that you're sitting there with YouTube mm -hmm. and it's just not doing it for you, right? Right. Mm -hmm. it, right. It, it's, you know, we think of these as being digital media, but they're not, they're consumed in such different ways. That's a great point. Yes, right. 100%. I love that. All right, let's go to headline number five. Amazon has started reducing the number of items it sells under its own brands. And the company has even discussed the possibility of exiting the private label business entirely to alleviate regulatory pressure. As Jonathan uh, inferred earlier. All right. According to Wall Street Journal, the decision to scale back the house brands resulted partly from disappointing sales for many of those items. Uh, and also comes as Amazon has faced criticism in recent years from lawmakers and others that it sometimes gives advantages to its own brands at the expense of products sold by other vendors on its site. Executives discussed reducing Amazon private label assortment in the U.S. by well over half, a source told the journal, uh, at the urging of Dave Clark, the longtime Amazon executive who took over as head of its global consumer business in January 2021 and who left his role just last month. After a version of the Wall Street Journal article published online, Amazon said in a statement that, quote, we never seriously considered closing our private label business and we continue to invest in this area, just as our many retail competitors have done for decades and continue to do today, end quote. Heyman, what's your take on this one? Um, it's surprising. Um, you know, we talked about this earlier on the show about Kroger and their new loyalty program and how part of the benefits of the loyalty program and the membership are deeper discounts on their private label. Retailers are conditioned to drive volume to private label. Um, and, you know, we all know why it's, it's a higher gross margin category. You typically, depending on the category, gain anywhere between 500 to 800 basis points of profit margin by moving from a national brand to a private brand. So it is surprising that they are moving away from it. It is a very core part of retail, right? And, yeah. and it's not that the industry as a whole is moving away from private label. Um, in fact, emphasis uh, on private label continues to be high. I think there was a little bit of a shift to national brands that were more trusted during the pandemic because that was kind of consumer sentiment around that. So I'm surprised, you know, I, I have a feeling this is more driven by poor execution. I don't know if yeah. any of you have shopped any of their private label products. Yeah. I have across a few different categories and there's a marked difference in packaging product quality. Yeah. And it was not mm. very deeply discounted in my mind versus national brands either. So I think this is more a uh, scaling back on on one of the things that Amazon probably did not execute well, and they execute most things well. So I think that's it's more that than a industry trend, right? Than them really scaling, truly scaling back because they they think that's what the the right move is here. Jonathan, what do you have to say about this one? So a couple of things. First of all, my cynical uh, side is that they've got two hundred forty thousand plus private label SKUs. So right. they've mm -hmm. got a bit of scope to play with and yep. say that they're reducing uh, their SKU count. Right. 
The other thing I was going to say is if you're a, a supplier to Amazon listening to this and you're thinking, great, they're going to exit private label. The only thing I'd say is be very careful what you wish for, because right, exactly. um, right. what they'll then want to do is protect the entry point in the price architecture and the pressure on MAP will only increase because they will no longer have private label uh, to protect that entry point in the architecture and it will be their other vendors who have to fulfill it so just be careful what you wish for yeah jonathan and Haman, i completely agree with you i mean those are the two points that i i saw when reading this too like is it really truly because you know it's it's uh they're trying to reduce private label brands is it because the production costs they have in excess products that they're selling that they don't really need and most importantly they hold the keys to how much they're going to take from all of the retailers who are selling the same product. So if it's not worth it for Amazon to produce that product anymore and they can increase, you know, instead of 45% of the sale, they're taking 50% of the sale and it has more revenue coming in than re time and resources going out. It's so easy for them to, to just adjust that lever. But Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything everyone said. The point I would make though that I think is important is I actually, I just am, I just think the story's bad like i just think it's bad journalism on the part of the wall street journal again which which we critiqued a few we i think it was like a month or two ago too yeah. like if as a journalist you know you look at the language that's used to tell this story amazon considered right cutting back their private labels well like i've considered many things in my life and like buying a sports car or dating a supermodel but i'm about as far away from doing either of those things as humanly possible so like right. Yeah, maybe they considered it in a boardroom discussion, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it. And mm -hmm. so to me, it's like you guys said, they're just rationalizing it, which every retailer does right. at every point in time. It's a continuous process that they're always doing. So to me, this is a non-story, plain and simple, made to look like a story by a journalist that wanted the clicks. And I, I hate to say it, but it's true. All right, you guys, we did it. We got through the five headlines. Let's get to our lightning, lightning round. round. Uh, Heymont, the first question goes to you. Rebag announced that they're going beyond bags and that they will start selling shoes and outerwear. Heyman, if you could add one more thing to the list that Rebag is now going to be selling to get you to shop resale, what would that item be? You know, I'm not a big fan of like buying clothes and accessories on a platform like that. So okay. my pick would probably be golf clubs i feel like golf clubs are oh. way overpriced when the first year they come out there's always oh. short supply but a year later they're like being sold for a 50 percent discount is there a resale site for golf clubs yeah there's many well there probably is yeah i'm sure somebody's got it no but jonathan i i told jonathan this question in advance of the show yeah and, I, and he predicted your answer jonathan did you get it right no, I did not. I did not. <laughs> hey, man, I hey, know. What... And what was that answer, Jonathan? Maybe we should answer at the same time. Heyman was going to say watches. I'm sure he was going to say watches. Oh, uh, yeah. See, so, yeah. Well, yeah. they might actually have those on Rebag uh, at some point in time. They well, do on they the real They do room. on many sites, yes. and then we would have a discussion about watches, and it would make me look a certain way that I didn't want to look. But, <laughs> but yeah, that was to be, that would be the honest answer. Okay, truth and honesty, very important on this show, Ivan. All right, so question number two. A Skittles lawsuit claims that the candy contains a toxin that makes them unfit for human consumption. Jonathan, what candy would you be devastated to find out was unfit for human consumption? Well, Skittles is up there. Um, Same with I'm Chris. Rush, oh, but yeah. God, uh, so I'm going to 
go back to uh, my youth. So I'm going to use a bunch of words that people won't understand. They're not candies, they're sweets where I come from. And there was this great sweet called Curly Whirly. I mean, what a brilliant name, right? So it's a curly piece of caramel covered in chocolate. You chew it, it basically extends down to your feet as the caramel stretches. It lasts for hours. I'm sure it's probably got some kind of rubberized toxin in it, but I didn't care as a kid. It was fantastic. Oh my God, that sounds so good. It sounds like an extra long Rolo or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah that's, that's exactly what it is. Oh. Covered in chocolate and you can start. Oh, you can right? stretch it. All right. Curly like Whirly. Yeah, all right. Let's get, some um, curly, let's get our Curly Whirly on for the end of the show, Anne. All right. Uh, Heymont, CVS Pharmacy has debuted a skincare center shop within a shop at three pilot locations as the retailer continues to hone its beauty offerings. Heymont, what's a step or product not to be missed in your personal skincare routine? Be honest this time. I know. You guys may not be able to tell, but I'm actually 78 years old. <laughs> so t- take note. So hey, I'm, only, I got my pencils ready. What is it? This is, this is going to disappoint you, but the only skincare product I use is soap. That's it. That's it? That That's is, it. Any kind of, like a I'm, special soap? I'm right there with him, actually. That's all I use, too. You guys got to- I like bar soaps. I don't like liquid soap. Uh, Irish Spring is my go-to brand, but works for me. No sunscreen, you guys? Sunscreen. Well, sunscreen I'll put on occasionally, but, you know. Daily, daily. Oh, my goodness. All right. Irish Spring, though, man. I don't get out enough in life to to need sunscreen daily, Anne. I'm (laughs) glad you He's thinking and eating retail, Anne, every day. He doesn't need sunscreen. Top of the morning to you. All right. And Texas A&M's football stadium is licensing Amazon's Just Walkout technology for its concession stands this fall. Jonathan. What item is a must-have for you at any sporting event? Oh, this one is simple. It's one of the things I never understood when I came to this country. Could we have beer in the fourth quarter? (laughs) Oh, right? Can we just keep serving beer? Can we just keep the bars open? Why does Stadium do that? Because we have to cram as much drinking in to the first three categories. It makes complete sense. Uh, it just that that's a straightforward simple one for me jonathan let, let's be honest it was caviar and champagne yeah <laughs> come on they might have that at just walk out i, I, I was don't know we have to be honest on this show that's right well, look, look, hey man, in your private owner's box i don't know what they serve but, you know i'm down at <laughs> my yeah. nascar races he's in I the not hole seats yeah yeah right. no offense to anyone down in college station texas but i doubt caviar and champagne are being served but i imagine there's a few stadiums around the country that will do that all right Thanks for sticking with us today. Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you guys, learn more about what the AM Consumer and Retail Group does, what's the best way for them to do that? They should visit our website, which is alvarezandmarcel-crg.com. Awesome. Excellent. All right. Well, that wraps us up today. A big happy birthday shout out to Juno Temple. Of, oh, yes. Yeah, right. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso and The Offer, which is a great oh, show right. that people should check yeah, out about the making that. of The Godfather. Yeah, you're big into that. Yeah. And, of course, Cat Stevens and one of Anne's favorite Minneapolis bread crushes, the one and only Joss Hartnett. You can see her I just exhaling. saw him on the plane. My husband was watching a movie. I was like, is that Josh Hartnett? Yeah, I don't understand Josh Hartnett. I've never Ooh. gotten him. But anyway, I guess no one does anymore either because he's kind of irrelevant. But And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And we try really hard to make it fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www 
www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Chances are it'll be read here within the next few weeks, so get yes. on that, please. And also, remember to use your promo code RBOT1950 to register for Grocery Shop. That's R-B-O-T-1950. And of course, as always, on behalf of everyone that participated in this podcast, be careful out there. The Omnitalk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com and Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com.